I invite you to turn with me to Jonah chapter 1. And it's page 851 in your pew Bible. And if, uh, if you have your own Bible and you still can't find it, well, find Matthew and then start going back some pages. And you'll find the minor prophets. And among them is Jonah. I think most of us who have been around church for any amount of time are probably familiar with the book of Jonah. And most of us, especially if we grew up in the church, I know it's one of my memories growing up in the church, that I remember back when they had the flannel graph. And we had the story of Jonah as told through the flannel graph. And so you've got the ship, and you've got little Jonah, and you've got the great fish or the whale or whatever it is in the story. Uh, and, and, you know, we always thought that it was a cute tale and, and made for a great story. But what I want us to see tonight, and, and what I hope that we see over the next couple of weeks as we study this, this short book, is that the book of Jonah is about far more than just a guy who gets swallowed by a fish and then thrown up for, out of a fish, and, and, it, and more of, than just a cutesy tale. There's actually a lot in the book of Jonah that we can learn about ourselves and about our own hearts. And so that's, that's what my, my goal is as we begin this series in the book of Jonah. So what I want us to do is, is to understand real quickly that Jonah is unique among the minor prophets. Uh, most of the, the prophets, the minor prophets in particular, the main message of the book is the message that God gives to the prophet to bring to whatever people he's bringing that message to. But Jonah is different in that the focus throughout the book of Jonah is not so much on the message that the, uh, that the prophet is bringing, but it's more so about the life of the prophet who's bringing the message. And so it's unique in that aspect in that it focuses on an individual's life and not so much on the message that they are carrying. So before we get into it and, and get started, let's pray and ask God's blessing on our, our time this evening. God, we thank you again that you have brought us here this evening and that we are gathered to not just sing and not just see one another and shake hands, but God, we're gathered to hear from you. And so, Lord, I ask tonight that as, as we open your word, we trust that you have spoken it to us. And God, we ask that you would free our minds and our hearts of all distraction and that you would speak to us through your Holy Spirit. God, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want us to look, we're going to read uh, the, the whole first chapter. It's only 17 verses, not that long. But I want you to follow along with me. And then when we finish, we'll, we'll come back through and we'll notice some, some big things that happen throughout the book. So follow along with me. Let's begin in verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. And the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. 
So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? And what is your country? Of what people are you? And Jonah said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and they said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. Or lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it, is, as it has pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. There's, there's really two main things that I want us to see tonight. And the first is that there are only two responses to the word of God. If you noticed, the book of Jonah starts out very fast. There's really no introduction. There's really no like, hey, this is who Jonah is. This is the setting. Here's what's going on. It just goes straight into it. And it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. So right from the get-go, we're into the action. The word of God has come to Jonah. And so now Jonah has one of two responses that he can give to the word coming. He can either comply with what the word has told him, and he can obey, or he can choose to not obey and to try and do something opposite. Well, we, we learn very quickly what Jonah decides, okay? So the word comes to Jonah, and Jonah's immediate response is to disobey. Verse 3, we see, But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. And so very quickly, we are right here in the book. We just started, and yet we're already in the action. We see that God has come to Jonah and spoken to him and given him a command, and Jonah's response is disobedience. And what I want us to see is that when it comes to the word of God, there are only two responses. We either obey and we trust and we follow through with what God has said to do, or we don't. We disobey. We neglect to do what God has called us to do. And very quickly, we see that Jonah has has chosen the latter. Jonah has decided that he does not want to obey God. He does not want to follow after what God has said. And we kind of have to ask ourselves why. Because 
Jonah is a prophet. Now, if we've done any study in the Old Testament, a prophet is someone who goes on behalf of God. They are bringing a message from God to another people. So we would think, or probably by association, we would assume that a prophet is a godly individual. A a prophet is one that we might want to emulate. We might want to be like a prophet. But Jonah is is not so much that way. And and so if we understand a little bit of the history and a little bit about the, the city of Nineveh, then I think we get a better idea of why Jonah is so quick to disobey. Now, for some of you who may be a little younger, uh, there's, there's some graphic things that I'm going to say that they're not that bad, but just a, a heads up. Uh, Assyria was, was the powerhouse uh, nation at this time when Jonah is prophesying, and the capital city of Assyria is Nineveh. And so one of the things that, that I read in a history book about Nineveh is a couple of things that they were famous for, okay? They were known for their brutality and cruelty, Assyrians were known to impale their enemies on stakes in front of their towns and hang their heads from trees in the king's garden. They also tortured their captives by hacking off noses, ears, fingers, gouging out eyes, tearing off lips, and cutting off hands. It is reported that they would even take the skin of the people that they tortured and cover their city walls with it and pile up their skulls in, in, in piles outside on the road as a warning for those who pass by. And so the Assyrians quickly made a name for themselves as people who were very brutal, people who you did not want to mess with, you did not want to be on the wrong side of the Assyrians. But the other thing that we should know about the Assyrians is that they were enemies of the Israelites. The Israelites were God's chosen people, Jonah is an Israelite, and the Assyrians are enemies of the Israelites. And so you've got to be thinking, all right, here's Jonah... He knows who the Ninevites are. He knows what they're famous for. He knows what they're capable of. And God comes to Jonah and says, Jonah, I want you to arise and go to Nineveh. Not just that. I want you to call out against them for their evil. Now think about putting yourself in Jonah's shoes. If you're Jonah, you've got to be thinking, this is certain death. I am an Israelite, an enemy of Assyria, and if I march into their town, their capital city, and if I come pronouncing judgment against their evil, I'm a dead man. And so we understand the context a little better. It starts to make a little bit more sense as to why Jonah is so quick to run rather than to obey. But then we have to ask the question, knowing what we know about the Assyrians and what they're known for and about Jonah and and how he felt towards the Assyrians, does that make what he does any less sinful? No. Jonah still disobeys God. Now, I was trying to think of how to make this a little bit more relevant for you and for me. Now, I'm not one who keeps up with the news really well. But I do know about terrorism in the Middle East. And I I think all of us have probably heard of things that they have done, ways that they have treated people, and, and we're aware of the fact that it's pretty bad over there. And they are not very kind towards Christians, are they? 
And so maybe if, if we were in the same situation and, and we knew that God had come to us and called us to go to the Middle East and proclaim the evil of these terrorists to their face, I think we might understand a little bit of how Jonah's feeling. We might understand a little better the hesitancy to just up and obey. Because that's a sure death mission. Chances of making it out alive are not good. But nonetheless, God calls Jonah to go and to do that. And we see that Jonah immediately responds with disobedience. And I wonder, as we're reading this, and as we think about what Jonah has done, we obviously know that it's wrong, and we know that it's sinful, that he disobeys God. But yet, how often do we do the same? How often are we guilty of disobeying God? If you have never really thought about that, I would encourage you to go, to, go read the Ten Commandments. And, and as you're reading them, consider to yourself... Have I broken this? Have I broken that? And if we're honest with ourselves, we have to admit that we disobey God and we disobey the Ten Commandments all the time. And if you don't think that you do, then maybe you need to read the Sermon on the Mount. Because we are so guilty of disobeying God, but yet we don't often do it in ways that are so public and obvious as the way Jonah does it. And so we tend to think that it's a little less serious. But yet disobedience to God is sinful. And another thing that I was thinking of is oftentimes we are probably even ignorant of what God has told us to do. Because God doesn't usually speak to us in in an audible way like he probably did with the prophets, maybe through a vision or something like that. But God has spoken to us through the word. And if we neglect it, And if we don't read it, and if we are not aware of what it says, we can't plead ignorance. That's not a good argument. I remember growing up, throughout the summer, me, my brother, and my sister would be home alone because my dad and my mom both worked. And so one of the things that my mom would do is that every morning before she would head to work, she would leave a little list of chores for each of us kids. And so these are things that we had to get done before she came home at 5 or 5.30 whenever she got home. And I know that uh, at the beginning of the summer, you know, you're just wanting to enjoy your freedom. You don't have to go to school. You don't have to read any books. You don't have to do any homework. It's awesome. And the last thing you want to be worried about is doing chores. And so I remember there'd be times where mom would leave that list on the kitchen table and I would come in for breakfast and kind of nudge it under the newspaper and just kind of say, well, you know, I, I don't know what you're talking about, mom. I never saw a list. But the fact that I was pleading ignorance did not excuse me being responsible for my chores not being done. The list was left for me. I had every opportunity and ability to read it and to carry out what it had told me to do. But for me to try to plead ignorance was not acceptable. And the same is true for you and for me. We cannot ignore what God has told us through these 66 books and think that our ignorance is bliss. Well, if I don't know what God has called me to do, then obviously I can't disobey him and not do it. You see, God has spoken to us. And as we read this Bible, God may reveal to us things that he is calling us to do. And blatant disobedience, like what Jonah does here in chapter one, is not excusable. It's sin. 
and ignorance, not knowing what God has called us to do, is not excusable. It's disobedience. It's sin. And so the first thing that we see real quickly in the book of Jonah is that God has spoken. Maybe he hasn't spoken to us the same way that he spoke to Jonah, but God has spoken to us. Are we obeying or are we disobeying? Those are the only two responses. But the next thing I want you to notice is is what Jonah's sin leads him to do. Look with me at verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare. He went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Two times in one verse, the author tells us that Jonah is attempting to flee from the presence of the Lord. This is what sin leads us to want to do. It leads us to want to flee away from God. I'm sure every single one of us in this room has sinned because I know the Bible says we are all sinners. And I also know, because I'm a human just like you, that when we sin, our natural reaction is to want to hide. Our natural reaction is we want to bury our head in the sand. We, want, we don't want to be confronted. We don't want to talk to people about it. We feel guilty. We feel dirty. We don't feel like we want to go to God in prayer and ask for forgiveness. And nothing has changed because if you look back to Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve first sinned by eating that fruit, do you know what happens right after they ate that fruit? It says that God came walking through the garden. And what did Adam and Eve do? They hid themselves because they were ashamed. And they said, God asked the question, he says, where are you? Knowing the whole time that where they were, and Adam says, well, well we were naked and we were ashamed. And God says, who told you you were naked? You see, Adam and Eve, when they had sinned, their initial response was they wanted to run and to flee from God. And we see the same thing in Jonah. And if we're honest with ourselves, we see the same thing every single time we sin. We naturally want to run and to flee away from God, not run to him in forgiveness. Sin naturally just makes us feel shame and guilt and dirtiness and filthiness. And our natural response is to want to run. But I want to encourage you tonight. Maybe you're here tonight and and you are feeling that way. You are dealing with some sin and you are feeling like you want to run, like you want to flee, like you, you, you don't want to own up to what you've done. You're embarrassed. You feel dirty. Look with me at verse four. It says, but, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. Now you may be wondering, how is that encouraging? Well, it's encouraging because no matter how much Jonah has tried to run and to flee, no matter how far he's tried to go or how many fares he's tried to pay, God knows exactly where Jonah is. God knows exactly what ship Jonah is on. God knows exactly what sea Jonah's ship is on. And God knows exactly where Jonah is at every moment. So no matter how much Jonah has tried to run and to flee away from the presence of the Lord, it is not possible for him to escape God's presence. And for you, 
and, and me, maybe we're dealing with some sin and maybe we are feeling like we're, we're trying to flee from God. We're trying to run away from our problems and away from our sin. Be encouraged. You can't. You can't flee from God. You can't escape from his presence. David wrote a bunch of Psalms. He wrote in Psalm 139, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. It should be an encouragement to us that even in our our sinfulness, when we are wanting to run from God, we are not able to escape the presence of God. But, but the flip side of that is also true. Maybe you're here tonight and you feel lonely. You feel like you don't have a friend in the world. You feel like life has been getting you down. Life has been nothing but a struggle. People around you are hurting and you don't know how to help. Maybe you feel like God is not very close to you. Like God is distant. Well, the same is true. You can't escape the presence of God. God knows right where you are. God knows the circumstances that you're in. God knows the feelings that you're feeling. You cannot escape from the presence of God. I hope that's an encouragement to you tonight. The second thing I want us to see tonight is that sin keeps us from fulfilling our God-given task. Sin prevents us or keeps us from fulfilling our God-given task. Now, Jonah kind of has a a twofold God-given task. We know in verses 1 and 2 that that Jonah has been called specifically to go to Nineveh and to preach against them for their evil, to declare judgment against their evil and their sin, okay? So that's the first part. But the second part is if we look all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, we'll see there's, there's another layer of Jonah's calling. Genesis chapter 12 is where God blesses Abraham. He, he promises Abraham. Or he makes a promise to Abraham, rather. And in it, just listen to what he says. This is Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and to him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now here's, here's the calling on Jonah's life. Here's the calling on all of God's people's lives. God says, Abraham, through you, I'm gonna create a, a massive offspring, and it's through your offspring, through your family, that all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so God is saying, through my people, I'm gonna bless the entire world. Now, ultimately, that finds fulfillment in Jesus because we know that it's in Jesus that he blesses all people. But ultimately, the calling for you and for me, anyone who calls on the name of Jesus and proclaims him as Lord, the calling in our life is that we are to be a blessing to the nations. 
And so for Jonah, part of his calling in being a prophet and being a people who belongs to God is that in all of his going and doing, he is to be a blessing to the nations. Look with me real quick at this episode of Jonah and the sailors. So in verse 4, God hurls a great wind upon the sea so that the ship is threatening to break up. In verse 5, we see that the mariners are afraid. They're crying out to their own God. They're hurling cargo into the, uh, into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain comes to him and says, What are you doing? Call out to your God. Maybe he will save us. So then we see this episode where they cast lots. And they're trying to figure out who is the reason that this storm has come upon us that's threatening our life. And so the lot falls on Jonah, sure enough. And so Jonah is outed. And they ask him, they say, who are you? What have you done? Where are you from? And what in the world has brought this storm upon us? And we see in verse 9 that Jonah gives us this, the answer to these questions. He says, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. So then they're exceedingly afraid because they know he's fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. So they ask him, they say, Jonah, what can we do to you that the sea will quiet down for us? And Jonah very simply says, if you throw me overboard, it'll end. The sea will quiet down and you all will survive. So they don't want to do that. They row a little harder so that they can try and get back to land. But when that doesn't work, ultimately they pray to God and they say, God, forgive us. We don't want his blood on our hands. But they throw him overboard. And immediately the sea ceases from its raging. So what do we see in that interaction to help us understand that that Jonah is not fulfilling his God-given task? Well, first, we see that Jonah has absolutely no interest in being a blessing to these sailors. Jonah knows full well that he is the reason that their lives are at risk. But yet, we see him not helping throw cargo overboard to lighten the load. Jonah is not praying to his God, asking for deliverance. Jonah is not even willing to jump overboard himself. He wants them to throw him over. And in the midst of the whole storm, he's, he's down at the bottom of the ship, asleep. Jonah has no concern for the people around him. Jonah has no concern in trying to spare their lives, in trying to tell them who God is. He's not concerned at all. But look with me back at verse 9. They ask Jonah, who are you? What are you? Where are you from? What are you doing? Why in the world has this storm come upon us on your account? And look at the confession that Jonah makes. I have this underlined in my Bible and I would encourage you to as well. Jonah said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Now let me ask you, is that a good confession about who God is? Absolutely it is. Let me ask you another question. Does Jonah mean it from the bottom of his heart? Absolutely he doesn't. I titled the sermon, The Life Reveals the Heart. You see, we can make confessions like this all day. 
We can show up to church every time the doors are open and proclaim Jesus is Lord. He's the God of heaven. He made the sea and the dry land. Amen. But if our lives are like Jonah's and we have no concern about those who are around us, we have no concern over lost people's souls, then are we any better than Jonah? No. But how many of us does this describe our life? We're all about making a good confession. Just like Peter who said, Jesus, you are the Christ. He made that good confession and, and, and Jonah makes a fantastic confession about who God is, but he does not fear him by the way that he lives his life. How many of us does that ex- describe? As I was preparing this week, I felt particularly convicted of, of this and I just felt like you know, I've gotten into a routine in my workplace where I come, I show up, I do my work, and I go home. But honestly, I haven't really been thinking about, I work with tons of lost people. Do I care any about their soul, about the state of their eternal soul? And how many of us are the same way? We've been going to work for years. We've been going to school for years. And we never give a thought about how we, as believers of Jesus Christ, can be a blessing to the lost world around us. So I prayed this week. And I basically said, God, I don't, I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what changes I need to make. But, but Lord, would you just help me to be more missional focused? Help me to understand that my God-given task as a believer is to be a light among the darkness. And I had no idea what that would look like. And the very next day, a coworker comes to my desk. And he says, hey, do you, do you have a minute? Can we go for a walk and, and just talk about a few things? And I said, sure. So we began to walk around the building. And he just begins to pour out his heart to me. Man, I have, I have been a terrible person. I have sinned in so many ways. I have treated women terribly. I've been a, a bad father. And he just begins to, to pour out all this giving me so many opportunities to tell him about the forgiveness that's in Jesus. All because I prayed one time that God would help me be a blessing to those around me. Do you think God wants to use you to bless those who are lost and who do not know the truth? Absolutely. You see, one of the unique things about the book of Jonah is that it really invites us to read ourselves into the story. Oftentimes we want to read ourselves into the story like David and Goliath, and we want to see ourselves as David slaying the giant. But the book of Jonah in particular is inviting us to see how we so often are just like Jonah. You see, we we can read the book of Jonah and so quickly see, man, he is flawed, he is sinful, he is an awful dude. But really, 
the book of Jonah, the book of Jonah is pointing the finger right back at us saying, this is you. Jonah is you. We have so often failed to be missional in being a blessing to an unbelieving world. But notice how the book, uh, not the book, but the chapter ends. Look at verse 17. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Seems like not a very exciting ending. I don't think any of us would be too excited about being swallowed by a fish. But notice that even in the midst of Jonah's sin and rebellion, his attempts to flee from God's presence, God shows him mercy. The sailors do end up throwing him overboard, and God appointed a great fish to swallow him up and to spare his life. God shows Jonah mercy even in the midst of his sinfulness and rebellion against God. And why does God show him mercy? To lead him to repentance. If we look over to chapter 3, verse 1, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. God is a God of second chances. God is extending mercy to Jonah who does not in any way deserve it so that he would repent. And God is doing the same to you and to me. God graciously deals with our sin. He's he's long-suffering towards us, extending mercy that is new every single morning so that we would repent. So that we would see that our sin is wrong and that that we are trying to, to worship ourselves rather than worship the one true God. And his mercy that he extends each and every day is meant to lead us to repentance. You see, the only character that we've really seen in this story is Jonah. And he's not a very good one. He's not a character that we want to emulate. But God has sent us an individual that we do want to emulate. He sent us his son. He sent us his son who, unlike Jonah, he perfectly obeyed God. He perfectly obeyed all that God commanded him to do. And unlike Jonah, Jesus perfectly displayed what it means to be a blessing to the nations. We see that Jesus was was a man filled with compassion. He was a man who, who loved everyone he encountered. He truly was a man who is living his life so that others would benefit from his service. So God has not left us without hope. God has given us a man, Jesus, who takes all of our sin and all of our rebellion against God and pays that debt on the cross. But he also gives us his son, Jesus, that we can look to, that we should fix our eyes on. So that when we read the book of Jonah and we see how we are just like Jonah in our sinful hearts and our rebellious ways, we will repent of that and we will fix our eyes on Jesus and run to him and trust that his grace and his mercy and his sacrifice is enough to cover all of our sins. 
God, we thank you so much for this evening. God, we thank you so much for Jonah and that he is showing us in so many ways how we are just like him. God, we are, we are sinful, but you are forgiving. God, you are merciful and willing to forgive, and I pray, God, that we would understand that if we look to Jesus, that if we trust in him for forgiveness, you will grant it. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.